0: Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech.
1: Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered. But why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store. It's an open and shut case.
2: All rise.
1: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law Business Report, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, California, the heart of Silicon Beach. We have a big episode for you today. There's a lot been going on out here in California. Governor Brown has signed a a flurry of legislation dealing with um, privacy and data security, and um, so we're going to be talking about that. Um, and we have with us um, and Harriet Pearson um, from Hogan Lovell and uh, who's actually calling us. We'll be talking to her. Um, she's actually attending the um, the International Association of Privacy Professionals um, Privacy Academy up in Seattle. And um, but Harriet has a, a vast experience in privacy. Um, she was the um, vice president and security council and Chief Privacy Officer um, at IBM for many years and co-tears Georgetown University Cybersecurity Law Institute. Um, She's also involved in some major um, cases involving data breaches and most notably uh, a a Wyndham Hotel's challenge to the FTC's authority to regulate data breaches um, under the FTC Act. So, um, Luckily, we have Harriet, who's going to kind of help us navigate through these, this flurry of legislation coming out of um, Sacramento within Governor Brown's um, signature pen. And um, without further ado, Harriet, are you with us?
0: Hello. This is
1: Harriet. Hi, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. And um, so we've had quite an interesting um, month, it seems, um, coming out of what's coming out of Sacramento in terms of both privacy and data security. Um, we've had governor Brown has now signed three major bills. Um, one dealing with, um, the do not track another one dealing with children's privacy. And then a third is a data breach bill. And then of course there also, um, he signed up the, um, revenge porn bill also, um, I believe yesterday. So, um, Let's start with the Do Not Track bill. And uh, what is your what is your take on this, and, uh, and what do you think the ramifications will be?
0: Sure. Um, and, and it's worth noting that uh, the three bills that were signed within the last uh, couple of weeks are actually three out of 14 bills that were introduced in the last year. And um, some are saying that California has become the uh, – uh, Europe of privacy for, for the United States given its activity and um the huge influence frankly that California has well well outside the state. It it really does seem to set a baseline for many of the practices and uh and is followed. Um, but well, and as also, you said yes? And
1: this isn't just California legislation because it regulates Any none of the privacy bills regulate anyone who collects data from a California resident. So Uh, in in essence, it's national legislation.
0: Uh, In its impact, I would argue, yes, you're absolutely right. It has a national, indeed, um, even a global impact if an international... Company is aiming to serve or interact with uh, people in California, uh, hence my, my using the term Europe of privacy. Uh, in, in, in many ways, uh, Europe tries to regulate privacy um, uh, in, in, a, in a similar fashion by saying that any uh, company, especially online companies that aim to interact with uh, European residents or European citizens, um would also be covered um, similar kinds of, of approaches there and and that's uh, quite consequential if you're a company that's that's online and using you know the using online medium to to interact with consumers. um so so as you said, uh, you know the governor signed um, the do not track uh, bill on september the twenty seventh and it really he, he was signing a bill that, that passed uh, all, unanimously, really, with uh, 78 to 0 in the Assembly and 37 to 0 in the Senate. And the, this particular bill, uh, amends something called the California Online Privacy Protection Act and um, really requires online uh, companies to disclose um, whether in collecting uh, information about a individuals' online activities uh, in a way that goes across uh time in, in different websites when that consumer uses, uses the uh, the individual company's website, so basically you know they, they're saying you know you've got to say whether or not you track and you've got to um, say how you respond to um, a web browsers do not track signals if an individual consumer um is wanting to exercise that kind of choice It says, don't, don't track me across uh, websites. Now, that's easy to say, um, but there are some really significant practical questions about what a, um, if you're writing a website, what, what that really means. And uh, in one case, one, one very practical question is well, what is a third party? What is that? mean in, in the context of maybe, um, you know, one company might have subsidiaries or affiliates. Are they third parties or are they just part of my organization? And, and really, you know, the most important question, I think, is um, what does do not track really mean? Um, that's a, a question that has been the subject of really vigorous debates in, um, in, in a do not track working group that has been uh, covered a lot by, by the media that has really uh, had a hard time uh, defining that, and um, particularly in the World Wide Web Consortium uh, working group that's on, on focused on Do Not Track, there has not yet been a fixed definition of what tracking really means. So it's, uh, it's, uh, there are some definitional issues for sure as uh, companies work on uh, figuring out h- how to comply with this law and um, one saving grace, however, is that um, there's a there's an interesting provision in the new law that gives um, companies a 30-day grace period to um, fix something if the Attorney General of California um, notifies them that they are not compliant in some way. So if you uh, take some good measure, you know, good-faith measure to... Um, do something. Let's say you post a link to a, um, a, you know a, a program that talks about how you offer choice to consumers, etc. Uh, but you've got you know some some gaps in the in the eyes of the attorney general. You've got 30 days to address any deficiencies once you're notified. So that's a that, that's an interesting uh, addition to this bill and one that um, you know bears uh, knowing about just be, because you know it's it's uh, it's a it's a little bit vague at the moment. Not quite clear what the scope is, and um, that gives you some breathing room potentially.
1: And, and it's kind of like a, I guess it's a, a two bites at the apple <laughs> a, a approach, um, and I, that's that's available under existing laws. I, I, I remember when um, the attorney general went to Delta Airlines. Because, you know, she sent a notice and they had 30 days to correct and they didn't correct. And I thought, you know, how can you screw up such a simple thing? <laughs> and, uh, but um, what impact, if any, does this bill um, becoming law have on the broader do not Track debate? Or is it just California just trying to choose sides on, in the whole debate between Mozilla and the ad community as to what should be the proper approach um, in terms of um, the settings for browsers?
0: I, I, you know, I, I actually think it's it's too early to tell what effect this will have. Um, it, it'll be important to see how some of the major websites choose to comply with it, and how the state itself, the attorney general, and, and other influential observers act uh, in response. Um, so, you know, if a, if a site chooses to participate in a um, you know one of the uh, online programs that talks through or discloses how the website participates and offers choice, add choices to, uh, to, uh, an individual. If, if that kind of a link and that kind of disclosure is sufficient, um, and, um, that may not affect the national debate, but we'll see. I think it's too early to tell. You,
1: are you, in, you were operating in, um, Hogan's, um, Washington office, which many years ago I used to look into every day <laughs> from my window. And, um, the, um, the do-not-track debate, is that really getting any traction these days in Washington, or is that just not really going anywhere?
0: Uh, you know, again, it's hard to say. Um, you know, there's uh, been a huge effort, uh, famously, I think, led uh, until recently by Professor Peter Swire, um, who uh, recently left, and they've gotten some new co-chairs in, in the W3C working group. Um, and But it does seem to have... Uh, you know, they are ground to a very, very slow crawl. Um, but I, you know, personally, I think uh, this is one of those issues that will not go away. Um, it's it's been defined at the, in the national level. Uh, Federal Trade Commission um, has uh, put forward a, a, you know, for years now some pretty compelling thoughts on the individuals, an uh, expectation that individuals will have some ability to choose and to. Uh, not be, have information about their evidence across unrelated websites be be monitored. Um, we'll see.
1: And um, do you think there's any chance of a legal challenge just on the vagueness or um, this, we're going to see this rolled out and this is a, one of the ones that go into 2013, correct? Uh
0: the, uh, this new California legislation, um, I, I you know I think again it's too early to tell. I, I think there are some uh, interesting uh, you know potential here, but again I think if if you look at the language of this and, and look at ways to um, signal uh, compliance, there may be a way to do this in a practical way. But you know no doubt California has had a history of particularly with the um, the, the activity of the attorney general in, in the state. Of, of setting a standard. I mean, look at what um, Ms. Harris did with the uh, mobile apps uh, guidance and um, the fact that California's issuance of app uh, privacy guidance uh, was actually even um, different from what the Federal Trade Commission at the, at the national level um, issued, uh, being uh, operators of, of uh, you know, developers of apps, platforms, uh, uh, platform providers, at, at a little bit of attention with the a, a federal guidance, um, it's evident that you know, California really having a point of view and an approach uh, that is its own. So
1: and um, if, you're, if,
0: you're, if you're operating nationally, um, you know, when we do an analysis for our clients, we, we do a, a national analysis, and then we typically um, do a special one for California because of the number of uh, both, both laws as well as, uh, you know, important sets of guidance that have come out of the state.
1: And, and one thing that's interesting is that um, you know, Ms. Harris has really you know, made it a big effort for enforcement. She has set up a special enforcement unit for privacy. And then at the end, the end of last year, she released, or beginning of this year, she released a report on data breaches, and which we'll be talking about a little bit, and saying that that's going to be an enforcement priority as well. So, um, you know, this isn't something that you can look at lightly when you have someone who's being very aggressive in in a key area of um you know this the california economy and the national economy i
0: think that's california is um uh, I, I, here here's an anecdote i was having uh i was at a dinner last night and i was seated uh, next to the state attorney general of a of a different non california um, and this this person was, was – we were chatting about the influence of California, and uh, this individual said, you know, if California and uh, New York's EG really choose to, to move on an issue, to invest in an issue, um, they get that issue addressed. They will move uh, the nation. Um, and we were talking about this in the context, you know, broad sense of issues, but it absolutely is the case, uh, California, that they have – uh, chosen to invest and um, have had already an impact. Um, now, you may know, and your your listeners know that at the national level, the uh, state attorneys general have chosen privacy as a top issue. Perhaps you've covered that before, or others have read that. For example, earlier this year, at the National Association of Attorneys General meeting in um, in the Washington area, and, uh, in Maryland, um, that the entire conference recently, uh, a handful of months ago, focused on. Uh, data privacy and the attorneys general are comparing notes. They are coordinating, uh, their, 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 at least their approach and their, um, sharing of information and, um, are equipping each other with tools and the creation of a, of a special enforcement unit and, um, you know, the, these kinds of assets is definitely something that I, I would expect to be followed and mirrored by those states. Uh, either have the resources now, or may, with time, given the focus generally on identity theft and consumer protection, may eventually get them. Um, in, and so, I would expect that to happen.
1: We actually had Doug, uh, Doug Gansler, the um, the Maryland Attorney General, who's head of the um, the Association of Attorney Generals, uh, on our show last November, and he talked about his privacy initiative. But um, we're going to talk about that a little bit further. But first, we're going to take a short break, and we come back. We've been talking with Harriet Pearson about California and privacy. Stay tuned for
2: more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
3: And events.
0: There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's the ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi. How about catching more
2: attention, like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell
0: short, branded, attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand, just like Sony, Visa, and Nike, for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com.
3: I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now.
2: Hold on to your white hat or black hat. WebmasterRadio.fm is ready to take you behind the backlinks. We're digging and scraping past the surface of everyday news and views of search engine marketing and dropping our proverbial anchor text on the important issues affecting the industry with our panel of search engine insiders. Behind the Backlinks.
0: Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific.
2: On demand, anytime, inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
1: Okay, and we're back. Um, So, Harry, yes, as I mentioned, we talked to Doug um, Gansler last year uh, on his initiatives. And, um, you know, are you seeing much in terms of, um, in progress and you know, greater awareness, or greater, more importantly, greater enforcement um, sense of uh, other state from general's outside of California.
0: And, uh, definitely, I think the um, the landscape here is is quite active. I, I think I, actually, I, I'm speaking to you today from uh, from Seattle, uh, where uh, to, just a little bit to the north of California, where the uh, <coughs> where there is a collection of about a thousand. Uh, privacy professionals, privacy officers and lawyers, government officials from companies and institutions around the country. And uh, it's one of multiple privacy-focused conferences that occur in the United States. And one of the reasons there are there is so much dialogue and there are so many more people involved in companies focused on data privacy and data protection in their companies is not only, um, you know, is there just an operational need to protect information against uh, greater threats of attack, uh, cyber attack or insiders, but there really is a much more active legal um, and, and enforcement landscape. And, um, I think y'all just need to, you know, we 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 track for sure. We have a blog. Our, our practice does call uh, hldataprotection.com, um, and uh, and the International Association of Privacy Professionals also has a blog. And we track uh, almost on a daily basis new uh, new actions being filed and um, new penance being provided. The the most active um, government agency is uh, the two most active, I would say, and and influential at the national level. Uh, Federal Trade Commission is one. Uh, Health and Human Services has emerged as the other because of the powers they have under HIPAA to act against organizations managing health information. But um, under uh, state uh, FTC acts and other statutes uh, that allow for the state AGs to get active, we've certainly seen an up there. No, um, Maryland, Maryland's you, a good example. I think uh, you know Doug Ganser actually acted uh, against uh, uh, McDonald's uh, not not too long ago for um, in kid privacy issue. That's just an example.
1: Now um, you're you're at the IAP. Is it is that the annual conference? What is it they're having right now?
0: Um, they have two major conferences each year: one in Washington and one in a rotating um, location. And so this one is. Uh, what they call the academy, and that's right. the academy has uh, you know very good focus on on training, um the the indiv- individuals in government and in in business um, on the latest developments and how to embed privacy and and data protection in companies.
1: And um, yeah, you know, we've had Trevor on the show in the past, and that's. Um, they usually the IAPP, for those who are looking into it, it's a great organization. Um, Trevor, they always put together and bring together a, a great collection of people as to present, and it's a great way to meet a lot of people in the field.
0: And uh, it absolutely so, is, absolutely is. And, you know, I've been, I, I uh, was there at the founding um, when there were about fifteen of us, and uh, I think he announced yesterday that oh, the organization is at fourteen thousand oh, now.
1: Wow. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, he does all of this from, um, you know, we, last week we had on our show the, the general counsel of ICANN, and I remember I was kidding him that it was hard for me to believe that the center of the universe was, um, was in Marina del Rey of all places, and although it has since moved to Playa Vista. But um, s- similarly, it's, it's kind of amusing that, the, in a certain extent, the center of privacy in a certain degree is in York, Maine, um, <laughs> where yeah, Trevor runs.
0: Actually, the the headquarters outgrew York, Maine. Now is in New Hampshire. Oh, it's uh, in New
1: Hampshire. Portsmouth or where?
0: It's still. Um, I forget the actual. I think Manchester, um, but I okay. forget the actual city. But um so yeah, uh, New Hampshire is is far away in California, but but the uh, issues do cross the the country, and uh, um, you know the. the the uh, second of the three um, pieces of legislation signed by the governor um, in the last couple of weeks was signed on, you know, at the very end of the month, September 27th. Um, right. And again, just like with the Do Not Track uh, bill, the uh, breach notification uh, legislation uh, passed with, uh, I think, no decision at all, uh, unanimous votes in Senate and Assembly. And it, what what this one does. Um, is amends the definition of personal information to include a, a password or security question answer combined with a username or an email address. Um, just and think about that for a second. Um, a, a lot of the debates we have in the privacy field have to do with what kind of data is covered. What right. kind of data what is to... What is PII is the big question, and it's a, it's a very significant question because once something is PII, then it triggers the application of law and guidance that has to do with managing it. And importantly, in the breach notification context, if you have an incident that uh, reasonably can be thought of as compromising the information, in, in the context of California, there is no threshold uh, of harm there under their statutes. So got an incident and you know there you go. It's, you have to notify an individual and regulator uh, about the incident. So what um, typically has been included in the PII is you know name and um, bank account, name and social security number. Um, those kinds of pieces of information that taken together, uh, would would identify the individual and lead to um, identity theft and health information has also been included under federal and in california 's law this not, this amendment um, explicitly says if uh, I have you know my name uh, mary smith let 's say uh, combined with the security question and answer that says you know your're uh, your, your first grade teacher um, and and the answer to that or something that can be used to access an online account, that that would, uh, a breach of that would then require uh, a notification. Now, uh, again, as there is with other types of PII in these notification rules, if that particular credential, set of credentials, was encrypted and it was compromised, if, let's say, cyber hackers hacked in and... Uh, stole the credentials in the hope of compromising folks' account, but what the files they stole, the data they stole was encrypted, then um, there would not be a notification requirement. But there have been enough uh, instances recently um, that have come to the attention of the California legislature that involved unencrypted credentials files that this amendment to the existing state breach notification law is intended to address uh, that that apparent uh, gap in coverage so it would address unencrypted uh, credentials that are um, are potentially compromised
1: and um, and this how significant will this be on a compliance level? what does this so mean I, to
0: businesses so what I think it means to businesses this new uh, breach notification requirement is uh, if I were now the um, uh, privacy officer or general counsel of a company uh, interacting with California, or maybe not even just as a, a press, I would say to my uh, marketing and business and technical uh, teams that are responsible for the creation of the um, authentication measures and the protection of that information, I ask them a couple of questions. I'd say, uh, one, explain to me how uh, these credentials are protected uh, when they're. Um, when they're in use and when they're stored, um, is there encryption used? And describe to me how that works. Um, and then I'd sit back and listen a little bit, and then I'd listen to those answers and the statute and figure out if I, I thought that, they, that they, we could be eligible for the encryption of harbor under the new legislation. And if i didn't i would I would challenge my colleagues say um to, to see, ask me to, to to tell me why uh they could not encrypt the information because ideally you'd want to just uh be comfortable knowing that um the the credentials are sufficiently protected using encryption so that you qualify under the safe harbor if for any reason that they're they're not able to be encrypted then I'd be uh striving to um see that there's great security around them because I know the process of notifying and going public with these incidents is a, is you know, a process for companies. I've, we've worked, I've worked a lot with organizations as they, they do that and uh, no company likes to go through it. And um, I think uh, there are a couple of companies here that, you know, I think whose recent experiences with uh, compromised credentials were, were very much in, in, in mind here. And I think LinkedIn was one of them. Um, it involved uh, credentials uh, being compromised, and, and no one wants to go through that. So that—that that, those are the, that's the practical form of of the uh, of the new laws. Take a look: how are you pre- protecting your credentials? Um, do you need to uh, implement uh, encryption? How expensive will that be? Uh, and if, if it's not feasible, then uh, put in place a program that minimizes or manages the risk of compromise.
1: Now. Um- it, it, there's been some data on just the the average cost per record of complying with um data breach requirements is, is quite high i mean something like thousands of dollars per record is does that sound about right
0: um uh, you know i think it's just it's all over the map um you know if you're talking about the average cost if there is a breach of report, if
1: there is a breach yeah i
0: mean uh, that's actually not too bad. That's, that's you know, any, anywhere, it depends on who you ask, but I'll say anywhere from 100, maybe even 75 bucks up to 300 plus per record. Um, that's you know, the, and, and the Poneman Institute does a, a serve, and they've, they've got as per somewhere in that range, maybe 100 and something dollars per record. But that's really the cost of, you know, if you have, let's say, a, a breach, if you're doing an online service and you have a breach involving, a thousand credentials, ten thousand credentials. Um, that, those are small numbers, actually. Multiply those by a uh, hundred or two hundred, you start to get into real money pretty fast. And if you're, a, you know, a, one of these major players and you've got a million, um, that's real money. That's real, real money. And um, that's why these breach notification laws are um, quite, quite high profile and high, high concern. When I work with companies um, at the general counsel level and above. Uh, no one wants to go through this, uh, primarily because of the reputation damage. Uh, no one wants to be seen as not having adequate protections around data relating to their customers, but also because, frankly, it can become expensive um, it would be, because we're talking about the potential for large numbers of records. But, you know, the the, the cost of notifying and dealing with the uh, aftermath of a breach per record is is, is, is what it is. Um, you know, the, the other... The other cost, I think, you know, that, that's the um, the cost companies will be considering is how much would it cost to encrypt this new type of information. Um, generally speaking, you know, companies find that um, having the legislature tell them what kind of technology measures to put in place to protect information is not usually such a good idea. Right. Um, so this is a, you know, this is – everyone wants to do good here, and um, this is very well-intended legislation for sure – Uh, but the challenge sometimes is that, uh, you know, encryption and encrypting data may not be the only technologically useful way to manage the risk. Um, and so companies will have to look and say, well, how much would it cost to encrypt this? And maybe there was a good reason why this wasn't encrypted and there were other protections in place, but now that we have this new legal and reputational risk because of the requirement to notify. Now maybe we, we're just going to have to do this, even though it may not be exactly the right thing to do at the moment, and it may divert budget from you know another initiative that might have been uh, more useful to protect against identity theft or even intellectual property theft or compromise or something else um, from from being done.
1: No, the um...
0: effect of there are always unintended effects to to these kinds of. For sure,
1: and, and Kamal, Attorney General Harris has said she will focus enforcement efforts, I believe, on breaches involving unencrypted data. Is that right? Uh,
0: yes, I mean that—that that, that is what she has said, and, and that makes that would make sense because if there is um, uh, unen- if there is encrypted information, then um, there really is not an issue. There really is not a threat. So, a no total sense to to focus there.
1: We only have we only have a little bit of time left, and one, we haven't talked about the, um, the um, Senator Steinberg's bill dealing with children's privacy and more or less implementing European concepts of the right to be forgotten for children.
0: Yes, um, that's a, I, I would say this is a fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, third third piece of legislation that came out of California recently. Um, here, there were actually it was not unanimous. Um, there were a number of, of no votes uh, in Assembly, um, and uh, there is some time. Apparently, it, this one does not take effect until January 1, 2015. So there's a little right. bit of time here to um, ponder and, and plan uh, how to address it. Um, again, it uh, amends the California Online for Privacy Protection Act, and there are, there are two, uh, two major provisions here. One is, is this right to be forgotten? Um, provision or, or erasure provision and really it says if you're a, a website operator and you know if you have actual knowledge that your your website, your service is being used by minors or that you're um, really directing your service at minors um, you've got to allow those minors um, to request removal or to actually remove themselves content that they've posted. Um, you've got to and also provide notice, you know, post something that says to, to the minor, that, to the kid that, yep, yeah, you can do that, and tell them how to do that, um, and tell them if, if uh, you know, once they do that, if, if it doesn't quite, you know, completely erase um, the content. Um, now, this is for visible display of, of the content. So think about, you know, if, if um, uh, my, my, uh, my child is, is under 18, and is uh, you know, it has a Facebook account or uh, you know some kind of online account that I've allowed them to have, or maybe I didn't even allow them to have, but they've smart enough to figure out how to do it, and they post uh, pictures, they post stuff that is you know youthful youthful stuff um, that you know in a few months they think better of it, or they have had a discussion with me as their mom, and, and we all think better of it and say, "You know I wish you hadn't done that, honey that's, that's not a good idea and um, so let's go figure out how to get it off. That's really what this bill is all about: is how do you get the information out of the public arena, um, and uh, it, that's what it requires. Now, practically speaking, um, this this debate about how do you um, give someone a consumer that right to be forgotten has been raging in Europe for a, over a year now. Huge right. practical implications. Huge. How do you, if you're a, if you're an online uh, platform, if you're a, you know, if you're a social social, uh, networking service, um, if you are a consumer facing company and you're not a social network, but you're just facing a consumer, um, how do you actually do this? And do you, do you have to get rid of the information in your databases Uh, under this new law in California? No, you're not. You just have to get it off so that it's not individually identifying the minor. Um, and if they, if the minor doesn't, um, you know, doesn't, uh, uh, follow the directions right. Doesn't do it right. You know you're not responsible. Um, but you do have to take these several steps. Um, now it doesn't. These new requirements don't apply if you know you're required by other laws to retain the information, or um, if, you, if you paid the individual for the information. Um, you know there there are some I think reasonable exceptions here, but there's not a doubt that this new requirement is is a step in that right to be forgotten. Um, requirement and and for a, a you know a constituency, uh, you know, uh, kids who you know I think we all agree. Uh, out of all the types of individuals, I mean, kids under uh, 18 are the type of of, of of constituency that you know deserves some some additional protection, and that's why at the federal level we have the uh, Children's Online Protection Act. Um, as well.
1: Um, well. I'm afraid we're running out of time, but I, I really want to thank you for your insights on, on each of these items The legislation. Very important coming out of Sacramento, um, being signed by Governor Brown. Now, Harry, if people want to learn more about you or Hogan, um, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh,
0: as I said, we have a blog with uh, almost uh, daily updates on important developments in privacy and data protection. It's at HL dataprotection.com uh, and we have uh, if you can look at hoganlevels.com you'll, you'll find uh, myself and my colleagues there.
1: Yeah, thank actually you it's, a, it's, a, it's a great blog actually. I do follow it and um, hopefully we can have you back to talk about the um, the Wyndham FTC case because I think that's going to be fascinating but I want to thank you very much for your time and say hi to everyone up in Seattle.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: And um, it was a pleasure having the um Great discussion, and um, we definitely want to have her back to talk about the the Wyndham case because that's a very fascinating case. Basically, the FTC has regulated um, data breaches. And the basically, the FTC mantra is the fact that you have a data breach doesn't mean you'll get investigated. The fact that you have it doesn't mean that you won't. And the FTC has authority to regulate unfair or deceptive conduct in interstate commerce. And they've taken the position that having inadequate security under certain circumstances can be either unfair or deceptive and so they've made a number of enforcement actions and consent decrees with all the you know internet giants from Facebook to Twitter to Google and um and then they came down to Wyndham Hotels and Wyndham Hotels said no um we don't think that's part of your authority under the FTC Act we don't think you're allowed to in essence you know promulgate rules on what is appropriate data security standards i don't think that's you know, what, what congress intended and so there has been heavy briefing. The Chamber of Commerce has been um intervening and as well as some conservative groups as well as um some groups on the on the other side have come in. And um so you have a a very significant pitch battle in federal court in New Jersey and there's gonna be a moral argument in the fall on that. And um so and it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens um because that's going to be a very important outcome and Harriet is part of the um is involved in some of that briefing so um well, hopefully we will be able to have Harriet back to talk about that um there's another major development um well, there's another bill signed by um Governor Brown that we just referred to briefly at the start of the show and that was the passage of the um revenge porn bill that was offered by um, California State Senator Anthony Canella, and um, it's it's a partial victory in the area of revenge porn because it only covers some of revenge porn, and basically it applies to um, revenge porn that someone takes. So the perpetrator had to have taken um, the actual images or you know, video, whatever footage it is that's a, at issue, and so it makes it unlawful. To um, any person who photographs or records by any means the image of the intimate body part or parts of another person, identifiable person, under circumstances where the parties agree or understood that the image shall remain private and the person subsequently distributes the image taken with the intent to cause serious emotional distress and the depicted person suffers serious emotional distress, that is now a misdemeanor as of today. Um, in California, this was passed as a, uh, an emergency measure. Um, that's the terminology used in Sacramento. So that is a bill that takes immediate effect. Normally bills coming out of Sacramento take effect on January 1. So it is a, it's a big step forward. And, um, as I mentioned on my blog post that, um, it already the fact that it was on the governor's desk has spurred uh, a great deal of debate and comment and which is great um, we do have a, a statement from the End um, Revenge Porn group um, their campaign of the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative and um, it's been issued by Holly Jacobs who is one of the leading advocates for uh, revenge porn legislation in Florida and she's um, suffered you know, seriously as a result of um, what has been distributed um, the content that was distributed about her by her old boyfriend and um so she has issued a statement applauding um the the signing and she says that law not only addresses images or recorded by other individuals which means that it falls to it fails to cover self-shots so or what we commonly refer to as selfies um, according to their own survey, up to 80% of victims belong to this unprotected category. In addition, the bill requires perpetrators to act with intent to cause serious emotional distress, which creates an additional and unnecessary burden of proof. Legislatures narrowed the scope of the bill's reach after critics cited First Amendment concerns. Um, the, Holly's group takes a, the takes a position that the the carefully crafted law banning revenge porn does not violate the First Amendment. And um, Ms. Jacobs said that in previous laws that prohibit harmful conduct such as stalking and harassment of which revenge porn is often a form have not been found to violate the First Amendment. Revenge porn is the posting of private material, not materially a public concern. and has no First Amendment value. She says, um, she um she. Gave a great praise to Senator Anthony Cannella of um, the um, of Northern California, the, and saying that um, Senator canella is one of the first lawmakers to take action on this issue, and to deliver any measure of success. We hope to continue working with him in the future to strengthen California's law. This issue will only get bigger, and the laws will catch up with technology when the public decides it has had enough of. Ch- Tragedy as a result of revenge porn. Our goal is to convince people that revenge porn is wrong today. Perpetrators convicted under SB two five five will face six months in jail and a thousand dollar fine. California joins New Jersey on the list of states that have um, that have addressed revenge porn. But I think um, they do it differently than New Jersey, which. Um, it's actually a felony, um, and but I think it's an important step forward. And you're seeing a lot, of, a lot online about it. You're seeing a lot of articles come out about it. And for example, um, we have um, comments such as by um, Emily Bazelon, who's actually whose father was a very distinguished federal judge, and um, he and she says right and. the the title of the article says it all. Why do we tolerate revenge porn? And she says revenge porn cannot be allowed to be a harm without a remedy. And um, University of Miami Professor Marianne Franks, who's been very active in this issue, uh, she's actually drafted a a very sensible model bill that just really focuses on the core issue, consent. And um, as another article in Slate by Amanda Marcot explains that um we look to you know, consent can be given and consent can be taken away um just cuz you consent for example she says If a woman happily takes a naked selfie on her own accord, does that mean she is simply just leaving herself open to later exploitation? Just as we recognize that two people having had consensual sex doesn't mean later encounters are necessarily consensual, we should recognize that a picture offered as a consensual sexual gesture can later be turned into a tool to harass and abuse, and there should be penalties for that. And if I can just make one last point about this, you know, since we had this show in July on this issue and, you know, I've mentioned it to a number of people and often I get a response that's somewhat of a snicker Um, when I brought it up at a a reception with a state legislator and there was some kind of stir about it. And, you know, I think we're, we're too often in this issue, we're blaming the victim. You know, we're making passing judgment on the, you know these these people for you know how how dare they have naked pictures taken of themselves, I mean that's none of our business. But what we really should be focused on is that you know our citizens, these productive people, are being harmed, and um, in a way that you know that we have reasonable measures to address, and without um, violating the First Amendment in any way whatsoever. And so I applaud the steps taken in California. And I hope, you know, we go further than what we've done. And I, I think what Professor Franks has done is, is laudable. And I hope other states, um, as, as often as the case, follow California's model and even go further. And, um, I invite you to check out a blog post on ILC, um, And um, we'll talk about this further, I'm sure, as this goes along. But um, congratulations again to all those working hard on this issue. Um, it's It's a big day and a big step forward. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report on Webmaster Radio.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
3: Learn more at www.infusionsoft.com slash radio. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition.
2: To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis.
3: We're rocking the
2: world with LinkedIn, one show at a time. Join your fearless leaders, chat with other LinkedIn gurus, and answer your LinkedIn questions. Rock the world with LinkedIn. On demand, anytime, inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
1: And we're back and we um, have a few minutes left. I just want to make a few notes. As you know, I'm fond of um, what happened today in history. And um, today actually is the birthday of Mohandas Gandhi and the anniversary of the swearing in of Justice Thurgood Marshall as the first black Supreme Court justice. Um, happy birthday to Annie Leibovitz and Sting, two other giants in their fields. Um, But there's some tragedies I want to point out that often are very much overlooked in history. This day in 1937 is what is known as the Parsley Massacre. And and there in Dominican Republic, um, the dictator um, Trujillo decided to expel um, the Haitian migrant workers. And apparently... Um, Haitians who mostly speak French um, cannot roll their R's and so they could not pronounce the Spanish word for parsley and so the legend is that they actually were stopping Haitians and or suspected Haitians and asking them to say the word parsley and if they said it wrong they were executed. As many as 20,000 Haitian civilians were killed and this was basically a, a mini a genocide within our own hemisphere. And ultimately, um, FDR and the Haitian president ordered, forced the Dominican Republic to pay uh, over five hundred thousand dollars in reparations for this tragedy. But more recently, in 1968, only ten days before the Mexico City Olympics, student protests in downtown Mexico City were greeted by snipers and um, police and and the army. And as many ranges from thirty to three hundred. Um, students and demonstrators were killed and then it was quickly covered up because the Olympics were just about to start. And only recently has the government admitted that what happened and is known as the Tlatelolco Massacre or the Night at Tiataloko and um, is quite a tragedy that just never really has gotten the attention it deserves. So two serious events, um, tragic events in our hemisphere um, happening this day. There's actually a, a wonderful novel on the um, Parsley Massacre written by uh, U.S. American author um, Edgewood Denticott called The Farming of Bones and I, am, I encourage it to you all but um, that's all we have time for I believe this week and um, we're still open while the government may be closed and so we look forward to joining you again um, with another edition of Cyber Law and Distance Report and um, we um we're definitely going to be following up on some issues in the future. Um, one of them we were looking at is the emerging issue of Bitcoin. And we're hoping to get someone someone from Bitcoin on the show very soon. And um, that should be a very interesting topic. And um, also, I would notice that the um, New Media Expo is soliciting... Um, nominees for podcasting awards. And if you're listening and you enjoy our um, podcast, please take a look and uh, consider us for the ninth Annual People's Podcast Awards. Nominations are now open. But that's all we have for now. Um, Enjoyed having you. And um, thanks again to our guests. Um, It was a pleasure talking with uh, Harriet Pearson. And um, we'll be back next week from Santa Monica with more Cyberlaw Business Report. Quarters adjourned. We'll see you next week.
3: The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.